Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and today's show is brought to you by GoDaddy.com. You can buy your own domain name, build your site, or use any of GoDaddy's business tools and save 30%. Head over to podcast.healthywealthysmart.com, click on the resources tab, and the GoDaddy link to save 30% today. All right. So in today's episode, I am happy to have on Dr. Suzanne Shug. Her mission is to change healthcare for the better by using insurance solutions, telemedicine, and preventative care. Sounds pretty familiar for all the physical therapists out there listening. She currently runs a preventative cardiology clinic treating metabolic and lipid disorders at New Jersey Cardiology Associates while teaching full-time as a professor in the School of Nursing at Rutgers University. She's also the co-founder of TelePlus Healthcare, a telemedicine company that works to improve care and medical outcomes in cardiovascular and chronic care. Finally, she is the director of wellness at a new insurance and technology solution, Endeavor Plus. This solution has been designed to improve the healthcare choices and management for both the patients and providers while helping small businesses and hospitals save money. Dr. Shug received her Doctor of Nursing practice at what is now Rutgers in 2010. She has specialized in preventative cardiology and clinical lipidology. Prior to that, she practiced in general cardiology and in primary care as a nurse practitioner. She has been published in the Journal of Clinical Lipidology, Low-Density Lipoprotein Particle Numbers Predicts Coronary Artery Classifications in Asymptomatic Adults and Intermediate Risk of Cardiovascular Disease. She has, published, she has been published in the Federal Nurse Practitioner for Health Information Technology Presents New Opportunities for Advanced Practice Nurses. And finally, she was recently published in NP Women's Healthcare Journal for Pregnancies Effects on Cardiovascular Health, a Women's First Cardiac Stress Test. She has also written medical guidelines for prevention of cardiovascular disease and cardiac rehab. She has also written a guideline for professional treatment of LPA. In 2010, she became a clinical lipid specialist accredited by the National Lipid Association and shortly thereafter was nominated as a fellow. She has given various lectures on women's cardiac health, prevention of cardiovascular disease, nutrition and supplements, as well as advanced lipid testing. In addition, she was a consultant to set up a preventative cardiovascular clinic at Oklahoma Heart. She sits on various editorial and preventative medicine boards. And in her spare time, she has done medical missions. I don't know when that spare time is. Um, When she is not working, she enjoys being outside, running, kayaking, biking, scuba diving, and hiking with her two dogs, Dudley and Maggie. So Suzanne has a really interesting background, going from a clinical nurse to now uh, being in an executive board and being in the C-suite, if you will. And we talk about that in this podcast, along with telehealth, which is uh, a big thing. And I just saw someone put maybe the future of physical therapy. We talk about how different insurance models can change the way we think about how healthcare is delivered in this country. And of course, we talk about what it's like being the only woman in the C-suite and what that was like for her and how she was how she managed to go from being a full-time clinician to wearing a lot of other hats. So I thank Suzanne so much for coming on and for sharing us uh, sharing with us her knowledge and some really, really great advice. So be prepared for a great interview, you guys. Um, Suzanne was great. And again, for all of you listeners of the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart podcast, GoDaddy makes registering domain names fast, simple, and affordable. 
Find out why so many business owners choose GoDaddy to be their domain name registrar. I actually use GoDaddy for Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. Um, And for a couple other of uh, my web addresses, they're easy. I am not that technically inclined. So if I can do it, anybody can do it. So if you want to get 30% off today, head over to podcast.healthywealthysmart.com, click on the resources tab, and then the GoDaddy icon and save 30% today. All right. So with that being said, let's get to today's podcast with Dr. Suzanne Shug. Hi, Suzanne. Welcome to the podcast. I'm happy to have you on. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it and I'm happy to get to speak today. Yeah. And now you've had, like we said in the intro, you've had a really interesting career um, with a lot of twists and turns and shifts. But the one thing that I would love to talk about changing healthcare. Healthcare needs some changes. Healthcare needs to move in, in a different direction. So, why are you interested in changing healthcare? Well, that's a great question. So, I, healthcare is obviously broken, and um, I don't know if it's going to get better or getting it worse with this whole, you know, new administration. It, you know, I'm uh, not on one side or the other. Um, I've done my some of my postdoc work in uh, on Obamacare, so I understand it pretty well, probably mo- better than most of the country. But it, it's broken. Um, most of the physicians, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, physical therapists that I talk to are all really burnt out. And I think most people feel like their healthcare is really lacking and it's really expensive. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Healthcare numbers just keep going up. Um, so, I was talking to um, friends at the gym, and one of them, her and her husband, who are relatively healthy, you know, they pay something like eighteen hundred dollars a month for healthcare. It's crazy. That's a lot of money. So, um, yeah, it's a lot of money. So, um, I, I was in a position where I just had left my practice that I'd been in for eight years, um, and one of my patients happened to who would who would be asking me questions and asked me to join his team for about seven years, um, asked me to join his team. And I learned a little bit more about it. And um, I saw that they were really doing great things. So one of the things that um, this new company called Endeavor Plus does is they're a health insurance solution that basically helps give insurance to small businesses. And what I mean by small businesses is, under 500 or more, uh, 500, or, excuse me, less, less than 500 employees. So I don't know if you know anything about that, but the small group employers um, actually get hurt the worst with the insurance. So number mm-hmm. one, it's really, really expensive for them. And they've been going to the, um, the, the big guys like, and I'm not singling anybody out, but Cigna, Blue Cross, the Shield, Aetna, all, all the big guys, mm-hmm. but they charge them a really high rate. So, and, and do they charge the really high rate because the pool of people within that is smaller? Correct. Okay. And so, and the other thing too is that those small companies are afraid of getting hit with what we call a catastrophic claim, mm-hmm. so they can go under. So they make things like I'm not going to go into all this, but stop, stop loss, and then reinsurance. But anyways, they're protected with that with Endeavor. And then the other thing too is that Endeavor has something called an HSA. HSA, what people don't realize is that the employers put money tax-free in, the employees get money and they can use it as a retirement vehicle, they can put money in tax-free, they can um, 
they can make interest tax-free, and then they can take money out tax-free. So it can work as a really good um, tax environment, especially to someone, um, sorry, tax vehicle, it's especially if you have someone who's managing it well. Sorry, I should say rather retirement vehicle. So, so that's partnered with a preventative um, health solution. So what Endeavor focuses on is wellness. They have health coaches. They have nutritionists. Um, they give incentives for doing the right thing, like exercising, sleeping, doing stress management. So they're really focused on keeping you healthy. Um, they've also partnered with other companies like um, telehealth and telemedicine, um, which helps um, keep chronic conditions down, helps people take um, be informed about their health conditions as well as take care of themselves. And they've also partnered with um, medical tourism. Um, just in the U.S. So, for instance, uh, most people don't know that if you get CyberKnife, which is for cancer, in uh, New York or New Jersey area, they can transport you down and you'll get a uh, top surgeon and top oncologist down in, like, Oklahoma for, like, half the price. Mm, interesting. Yeah. So um, putting this whole healthcare plan together has not been a small order. So they've They've taken many, many years to do this. I would say six or seven years to do this. But they, what they've really come up with is, is a good plan. It's, and it's um, not only good for patients, but it's also good for the providers because they get paid better to take better care of the patients. And what do you think, why do you think there is such a big disconnect, I think, at least from what I see from my perspective, in the American public of being more reactionary so instead of rewarding people, like you said, for going to the gym, for making healthy choices with food, it seems like a lot of insurance companies are more reactionary, you know, so they'll, they'll likely help if you already have diabetes, but they won't help you not get diabetes. Yep, absolutely. So it's a two part thing. So Number one is prevention costs money. Mm-hmm. Okay, so to do preventative medicine, it costs money. It costs education. It costs, you know, screening tests. Um, you know, if you have a family history of, like, colon cancer, you, your screening tests, you need to get screened 10 years earlier than someone who doesn't have a family history. Mm-hmm. So it costs money. So what people don't realize is that, yes, it costs a little bit more money up front, but it saves you much more money. It's, it's almost a three-to-one ratio. Wow, going okay. forward. So once, yeah. So once you, it's, you save, you save $3 for every $1 of wellness you put into it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's number one. Number two is that the insurance companies, they're in business for a reason. They make money. Right. Right. So how do they make mm-hmm. money? They make money on you being sick. So um, insurance companies are not in it because they want to insure people and be nice to people. Insurance companies are in it to make money. And so if insurance companies make money on people who are sick, then... Correct. That doesn't see... It seems like it sh- that should not be, right? Because if someone's sick, then the insurance company has to pay for their treatments. So how do they make money on it? So what they do is they they charge people a very high rate, and then they have other things like they have um, other stop losses like stop loss and reinsurance. It gets very very complicated. But what happens is 
is they insure people up to a certain, they know how much each person's going to cost roughly. Mm-hmm. So they make those, those people who they're insuring pay more. I see. I see. And then, so they're sort of taking a gamble, right? So if, let's say, Correct. those people are paying more but then never get sick, then that's a good thing. Yep. Got it. Okay. That makes a little, that makes a little bit more sense. Now, we, I guess the next question is, so changing health care is a tall order. So what, where did your passion for this come from? So if you, there's lots of reasons, but I guess, I guess one thing I believe is I don't believe that someone should lose their house because of healthcare dollars. And one of the reasons, the biggest reason that people lose their homes is because of they can't pay their health insurance bills, or I'm sorry, they can't pay their healthcare bills rather. So um, that's a huge thing. I think that being in the United States, we should have healthcare. And I know um, Obamacare attempted to, to do that. Um, and I'm not going to go into what's wrong and what's right with Obamacare. It has some, has some really good points and it has some really bad points. You know, it's, it's the number one reason why people lose their homes is they can't pay their medical bills. And I think that's a real crying shame. The other thing that's going on is that the providers are really burnt out and the providers are, seeing, are being forced to see patients at a uh, rapid clip um, to be able to keep their practice afloat. And if you notice what's going on these days is that most of the single providers are now joining groups, but they just can't survive without it. I mean, right. You, a primary care doctor graduates medical school. He, he owes like $750,000 and he makes one hundred and fifty in his first year of practice. He can't afford to have an office and a staff. Absolutely. And, and I've also seen a lot of physicians, at least here in New York City, kind of go to a like yearly, mem- almost like a membership or a concierge model where you may pay $5,000 for the year and you go to see your GP. Absolutely. Right. And so, and again, that's what you're also taking a gamble, right? Because I guess if you go to see your doctor a lot, $5,000 a year is okay. But if you only go once a year to see the doctor, then it's not really worth it. Well, or is it absolutely right? And I guess, I guess the thing is, is that people who really want to see their physician and they want, or their nurse practitioner or whoever they're seeing as provider, um, if they really want to see their their provider and they really want to get a hold of them when they want to get a hold of them, mm-hmm. they like that. Mm-hmm. But you're absolutely right. If you're a person that sees a doctor once a year, only sees a doctor when you get sick, it's it's not worth your money. Um, I have lots of friends who have um, concierge practices. I happen to be a, a lipid specialist, so there's um, very few of them in, in the country. So a lot of lipid specialists are concierge practices because they deal with very complex lipid lipid disorders. So right, it's right. interesting. Yeah, and and a lot of physical therapists, not a lot, but um, I, I think a fair it, amount. Fair, yeah, we'll say a fair amount. Let's let's not say a lot. I don't want to throw a lot out there. Are kind of turning to a direct pay model, where you don't take any insurance. The patient pays you out of pocket, and if they want to turn it into their insurance company for reimbursement, they can, and if they don't want to, they don't have to. But, you know, then you're also taking a gamble because you're you're hoping that people are going to come and pay you out of pocket. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the other the other model that's, that occurs is that um, the person, like a physical therapist, will bill the, the patient um, 
for a certain amount, and then the the patient will submit the claim to their insurance company, and they get reimbursed a certain amount. So yep. say 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 you charge two fifty, and then they get reimbursed a hundred, then they're on the hook for a hundred and fifty. Exactly. Right. Right. So yeah. you know, there's there's all these sort of that would be like an out of network model, right? Where you're mm-hmm. you're charging them X amount, and then you kind of split the cost, but as the provider, you're still getting that whole amount. Um, and I guess the question is, is where do you see that going? Where do you see the, all these changes in healthcare? Do you see this ending well? Do you see this being much more of the same? What kind of trends are you seeing? And, and what are your thoughts on it? So right now, what I'm actually seeing is that they're doing, they're starting to go to a model where they um, are reimbursing for, for certain conditions. So let's just say um, the biggest chronic condition in the country is something like congestive heart failure for older okay. people. Okay. So you get a certain amount of money to take care of that patient regardless of how many times they go into the hospital. Mm-hmm. So it's, it gets split by the physician in the hospital. Now, they, the U.S. government did this model out in California about 10 years ago, and two out of three of them failed. Whoa. So, so this, this, is is the bun- this is the bundled payment, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and and the same thing kind of with total joint replacements, right? So now they're looking at reimbursing a certain amount for, you know, the surgery, your inpatient stay, your PT for everything, and it needs to be Mm -hmm. split. And Mm -hmm. I always say, well, what what happens if something happens? So that's that's the problem. Right? Like what if someone gets a DVT? What if they, you know, then what happens to that payment? Absolutely. So, and who gets, who gets stuck with the bill, so to speak? Right. So is it the physician? Is it the hospital? And no one really knows. I, I think that's, that's some of the problems. And so this is really where you want to not only bring in a total healthcare plan where you're working in collaboration with everybody, but also telemedicine and telehealth would really mm-hmm. come. Yeah. So meaning that they get discharged and if you know, God forbid they have a DBT or a valve where they have to be on something like Coumadin, mm-hmm. which is a, you know, they have to be monitored constantly. Yep. You can do it via telehealth rather than them having to come into the clinic. How do you do that via telehealth? Because you can have devices that are Bluetooth that can read somebody's INR. What? Same with, yeah, same with um, Pulse Ox, same with sleep uh-huh. apnea. So... So they're Bluetooth in there. They get integrated into the the system, and then they the whoever's monitoring them can pull them off the web. It just has to be secure, obviously. Right, right. So let's talk a little bit more about telehealth. We were talking a little bit before we went on the air here, and I think this is uh, f- for me a very fascinating area, an emergent area of medicine. Let's talk about why you need to be HIPAA compliant. Why you can't just call someone up on Skype and do a session with them. What would happen, let's say, if it were found that you were doing consultations with patients via Skype, which is not a secured, I don't think it's a HIPAA-secured medium. I don't know. I could be wrong, though. So there is some ways, I think, to make Skype, and again, I'm not an IT person, so I apologize. I don't want to speak at a turn, but I think there is some ways to make it secure, but but, but basically, you don't want to get fined for not being HIPAA compliant. I, I think the minimum fine for um, a security breach is something like two hundred fifty thousand dollars. 
Yeah. Uh, and that, and then obviously you, you don't want to leak somebody's information. So, I, I mean, you're constantly hearing about these, these companies getting hacked and, you know, their credit cards. And then also the other thing that's being stolen is their healthcare data or their Medicare numbers. Right. Because um, that can turn into to dollars for the, uh, the people on the web. So you want to be really careful. So you have to have a very secure system that doesn't allow people to, um, to break in. So it has to be, we have it on a private server and then it's backed up in the cloud right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, very interesting question. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing too is that you have to make sure that the connectability is actually stable. Because how frustrating is it if you're trying to speak to a provider and um, the connection is is not great? Right. So how can you ensure that you have a stable server? Just like either be wired in or have a really good Wi-Fi connection. So we use something called the WebRTC. Uh-huh. And again, I'm not an IT person, right. so we just um. And we run it to the Amazon cloud, so it makes it over 99% compliant. And ask me 99.1, I don't know. But uh-huh. it, makes it, it makes it extremely compliant. And what? where do you see telehealth going? So right now, I think the statistics are that 30% of the population has been exposed or using telehealth. And that should be by 2018 up to about 80%. Wow. So that's in a year. Yeah, and one of the reasons why is up until now, telehealth really hasn't been reimbursed. Ah. But now people are getting hip to it that it's going to start being reimbursed. Medicare and Medicaid is now giving chronic care codes. And also people are understanding that, especially rural areas or people that don't have specialists like neurosurgeons or neurologists to look at films, um, the, the company we partnered with are able to look at radiology scans for $15 per, per scan. Wow. I mean, that's, yeah. it's pennies on the dollar compared to what they're, so, yeah. so it really does make a difference and you can really expedite the care, you know, instead of traveling hours to another hospital to see a specialist or, or getting transferred to another hospital, you can do telehealth and we, we partner with a company that has carts and the carts can be, um, they can be used by multiple groups in the hospital and, and the, the data secure and it's not able to be um, accessed by other, other partners mm-hmm. in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. God, what a price differential, right? Yeah, $15 yeah. versus if you had to go into the hospital, see a physician, da, da, you're talking minimum, what, 350 So, yeah, I mean, you, if you walk into the ER, you're looking at minimum of usually thousands of dollars if you have any cash. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I once went to the emergency room because I had, like, really bad right lower abdominal pain. So, you know, I thought it was my appendix and luckily it wasn't, it was just a weird virus, but, um, I remember getting the bill and I was like, what? And so I called and they said, well, the moment you go through triage and you are then admitted to the ER, it's $2,500 before you've had anything done. Yeah. I remember, um, I remember going to the ER when I was cut my finger off, um, during Thanksgiving. Ooh. And, and uh, yeah, freak accident. It doesn't matter. But but I, I go in there, and they're like, do you want a plastic surgeon? And I'm like, it's a finger. Do I really? I'm not a hand model. Do I really need a plastic surgeon? Yeah. They're like, well, he's here, and he's on call. So, And, and it was the hospital I worked at and the hospital that my husband was attending at. So I was like, oh, sure, I'll, I'll take the plastic surgeon. It's four stitches. I get a bill for $6,200. It's <gasps> a lot of money. He's out of the network. 
Oh, he was out of. Oh, so you had to pay that? Well, I argued. I argued with the um, with the hospital because yeah. I didn't know he was out of network. No one told me he was out of network. But that's. I mean, part of the healthcare system as well is just navigating the system. Yeah. Between networks and that. I mean, you can have surgery and your anesthesiologist can be out of network. Yep. Well, how are you supposed to know that? You're sleeping. Right, right. Yeah. How, so as the patient, do you make sure you ask ahead of time? I mean, sometimes so someone's times not have, available or? You have to ask ahead of time and you have to ask if certain tests have been pre-surgered ahead of time. Right. So with Endeavor, they've, they've done away with that. Oh, okay. Okay. And what they do is they give you transparent pricing so you know what you're going to pay. Since the first amount of money comes out of your HSA, mm-hmm. you know how much you're going to pay for each test. So having a, a clear idea of perhaps how to budget and how to go about doing uh, – how about how to go about reconciling your own health care? Well, not only – so the, the idea is not even to make the consumer smarter about their health care, meaning how much does it cost, what am I getting done, how do I make myself better? So, like, if I have a chronic condition like, say, high blood pressure, which is a third of the population has it and doesn't even know it, how do I make myself better? Well, can I do it by lifestyle or, or you know, so we, we talk about lowering salt, we talk about exercise, we talk about dropping weight. Mm-hmm. And then, we, you know, if you can't, then we talk about going on the proper, appropriate meds. Right. So you're, you're sort of educating and giving all the options, which makes perfect sense to me. Absolutely. So if you can do it by lifestyle, I mean, I'm not one of these people, even though I practice medicine, I, I'm not like, oh, you absolutely need a medication. Mm-hmm. In, certain, in certain disease states, yes, like bag familial cholesterol um, disorders, yes, you absolutely need medicine. But if you can do things with lifestyle, why not try lifestyle first and educate yeah. somebody how to help themselves? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, this is a place where... I think nurses and I think physical therapists can really play such a huge role. Well, it's a, it's an entire team. Yeah. So with our telemedicine and telehealth group, we've also um, hired a group called Telenurse. And then we've also partnered with a, another group called Net Medical Express that has like 450 physicians and nurse practitioners and PAs across the country. So it's, it's an entire team. That, um, we're, we're looking on bringing on some um, physical therapists, but yeah, the entire team that takes that takes it, it from everything from not only just practitioners but also nutritionists, physical therapists, um, health coaches. You know, they all play the role. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think oftentimes in healthcare we can kind of silo ourselves, right, and and forget that people really do work best with the team. Oh, absolutely, without a doubt. Um, I, I can tell you I can't function without my team, that's for sure. <laughs> so we're all not experts in every area, and yep. you can't be everywhere. And, you know, speaking about speaking of your team, and, you know, we sort of brought up a little bit about your past here during the interview, and, and I mentioned it in, in the intro, but first, what was it like to totally switch careers? Because that's a little scary. Uh, it was very scary. Uh, I had like chest pain and palpitations every day. Uh-huh. No joke. <laughs> so I, I still do practice one day a week. So okay. I, I do. Um, I haven't given my practice up completely, but it's at a different practice than I was. And I'm lucky to have a really forward-thinking uh, cardiologist that I work with at the NJ Cardiology Associates in, in West Orange. But 
they're a great group. I, it, it was a total heart stopper. It, I'm so lucky that I have a very supportive husband because mm-hmm. if I didn't, there's no way I would be able to do it without him. Um, it, it's, it was a huge change. I went from being a business person. I went from being a nurse and a nurse practitioner and a lipidologist to becoming a business person at, and a professor at Rutgers. Yeah. Completely different. Completely different. So, so it was very interesting and actually made me think in a different way, which was really cool. When people started talking, I just had to shift my mind and say, okay, let me think about it in this way. It's just a whole different way of thinking at things, looking at things that I never even thought about in the past. It was weird, but it was cool. So how do you, because I think, you know, a lot of people who listen to this podcast are PTs and they're in healthcare and oftentimes go into also entrepreneurship or, you know, maybe some type of an executive position. So what is your advice as to the best way to create that mind shift from, you know, med- medical or constantly seeing clients to making that shift to being an entrepreneur or being an executive and having to worry a lot more about the business side of things? So, so to your point, it, it's very difficult. It's, um, it's something you really want to do. Um, I actually had to, when I was getting into this, I had to start teaching some business classes at Stanford. And I did it on my own because I felt like an idiot when I was talking to all the, the Wall Street men that I work with. So um, you, you really have to be your own advocate. You really have to go out and talk to people who, who run their own business. Um, and if you can um, get hands-on experience, that's great. Um, but yeah, you really have to change your whole mindset. When you go to either nursing school or medical school, no one trains you how to be a business person. No, it, um, same thing with physical therapy. You don't get a lot of business classes. In fact, I got none. Thank, thank God I was a business major before I became a nursing major. But um, it, 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 was, it was very difficult making the transition because you actually had to change your whole mindset. So mm-hmm. my advice would be to, to talk to other people that run their own businesses. See if that's something that you really want to do. And if you really do... Make sure you understand it and explore it before you before you go in um, full feet, two feet first. You know. Yeah, you don't want to just jump in blindly and then try and figure it out as you go because you'll make a lot of mistakes. Now, you that doesn't mean you're not going to make a lot of mistakes. Otherwise, we all make mistakes, right? Without a doubt. Yeah, it, yeah, does, it doesn't absolutely. mean you're not going to make them, but maybe you'll make less. <laughs> <laughs> we hope so, and and hopefully when you make the mistakes, they're not as costly. Exactly. That's the key. Exactly. Yeah. Cause I know, I mean, I've made a, a good number of mistakes, you know? Um, but luckily I've, I've learned from each of those and it's really strengthened my ability to run a, run my own practice a little bit, uh, with, I think a little with some success. Um, so well, I think you have a lot of success. I think you're selling yourself short, but yeah, I mean, I, I've traveled around the world basically at this point talking to investors and that sort of thing. So it's been pretty cool to be able to travel. It just, it, it, um, it was hard in the beginning when you're trying to get the business going, scrape together everything and trying to travel, support yourself and, and do all of that. Again, I'm lucky I have support. Yeah. And, and how does your background in nursing help you be an executive? So luckily, um, being in nursing, no. So number one, you you know how to deal with people. 
You need to, you know how to deal with the public. You're, you're constantly teaching out in the public. Number two is I actually had, um, got my doctorate degree and some of my doctorate degree, it teaches you how to be a leader. It teaches you how to run a business. So I did have some of that background. Um, also, if you're if you're in charge of the unit, which we all have done, that you learn some management skills, and you mm-hmm. actually, as an as a nurse, you have to learn to be able to deal with people. So yes. you you do you do learn how to be a team player. You do learn some management skills, but again, the core business part is the is the part that you really have to wrap your head around. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And in your current uh, at Endeavor, you happen to be the only woman on a team of all-male executives. So what is it like being the only woman on an all-male executive team? And what are your biggest challenges? So I think the biggest challenge is the easiest part. I think the biggest challenge is actually being taken seriously. Mm-hmm. And I think um, just because we're women, a lot of times we're not taking the same degree, uh, we're not taken as seriously as men are. Mm-hmm. Um I think a lot of times we're sort of dumbed down or, or okay, we'll listen to her in a minute. I was lucky I had the medical background, mm-hmm. um, and it took me a while to gain the confidence of the guys. The other thing, too, is that, again, I had to change my way of thinking. And it took a, it took a little while for me not to be, like, brutally honest mm-hmm. and say everything that I thought that came out of my mouth. Mm-hmm. Because that's what you're used to in healthcare. You're just used to telling people what's going on. Sure. So it's um, business is a little bit different than than healthcare in the in the words where you should in the ways where you should keep things close to your chest sometimes mm-hmm. and not say something until you really um, are sure or you're or you're ready to go ahead and, and uh, venture down that path. Yeah, absolutely. So it, it was hard. I have to tell you, it was it was really hard in the beginning. Yeah, and it, this concept came up a couple of times in the at the Women in PT Summit, two people mentioned it, and they spoke about how at in the Obama White House there were definitely more women on hand. And for them to make sure that their ideas were heard, they were credited for their ideas, the women used the concept of amplify or amplification, where mm-hmm. if one woman said an idea, another woman would say, oh, you know, I really love Suzanne's idea about XYZ. And then they'd go around and another woman would say, you know, I really thought Suzanne's idea about X, Y, Z, you know, may be very helpful. And so they use this form of amplification to make sure, one, that that the voice was heard, and two, that credit was given to the right voice. That's, a, that's an excellent idea. Isn't that great? Now, yeah. um, you know, I think when you're the only woman on an executive team, I think that can still happen. You know, and I think you can still, because you, you can also, you could certainly say, hey, you know, Kevin had this great idea the other day. Do you remember? And try and like amplify those good ideas so that they're not kind of drowned out. I don't know that how that works on when you're in an all women, when you're the only woman on an executive team, but I think that can work if your male colleagues are in on it. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So, so like I said before, I've really, it's taken a while, but I've gained the confidence of the, of the guys and they've been the men. I shouldn't say guys, they've been really good sports about it. So I think I was sort of like, 
who is this woman in the room and what is going on and what is she talking about? And then I also speak in a whole other language because I speak in medical terms. Medical all the terms, time. sure. Yeah. So, yeah. so these guys are looking at everything from dollars and cents, and I'm going, no, 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 no. Let's look at this from what's the best thing to do for the patients and what's the best thing that's going to save the employer's money. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, so like, well, let's do the best thing for healthcare. Let's not just do the best thing for, for the bottom line. Yeah. So, um, it took them a while to get used to me, and they've gotten their bruises along the way as well as I mm-hmm. have. But they're, you know, I, I think now they're very, very supportive, as I am of them as well. It's it's always good to um, always compliment when there's when there's good things that come on the team, whether it's a man or a woman. Absolutely. But, but to your point, it's it's tough being the only woman. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And. Do you feel, especially coming from nursing, where the majority of nurses are women? I think we could say that with confidence, right? Absolutely. How does the leadership style differ? And and that's probably a loaded question. When you were a nurse, obviously, no, no, no. But you know what I mean. It's it's not though, and and I don't know if you know the background of, of the way nurses treat each other. I don't know how physical therapists treat each other. But I think one of the reasons why nurses are really not successful is because they sort of eat their own young. Yes, I've heard someone mention that as well. I call it horizontal violence. Where Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're not as supportive of each other as they could be. But yes, I've heard so, that. Yes. So nursing is notorious for it. They're, they're not... Um, they're not supportive of other nurses, and I don't know what the dynamic is. And I think that the profession of nursing would be much more successful if they were supportive of each other. Whereas in in business, it's a little bit different, um, where it's everybody's just sort of clawing to the top. They don't care who who you are, man or woman, but it, it's a whole different sort of atmosphere. Um, women for some reason in nursing make it personal in business. It's like, Oh yeah, I screwed you over just because it's business. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I know. That's, that's a really sad state, isn't it? Well, it's because, well, here's the thing. The reason why physicians are so successful is because they all bond together. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It's true. Nursing, sh- nursing should be just as successful as physicians and same with physical therapy. Um, but it's a, it's a predominant women's, um, career and they, they predominantly undercut each other all the time. Yeah. And I think that was one of the things that we looked at, at this conference and, and someone even brought up the concept of workplace bullying and that she was bullied by another woman at work. And so she said, if we're bullying each other, how could we expect the men to have respect for us? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I do think, to your point, I think in some regards, it's it's our own fault. It's because um, I think women, it's just like, um, and I hate to compare it to this, but why do women dress up? A lot of times women dress up because they want to impress the other women or their other oh. friends. They want to look better than their other friends, right? No, like like a man really knows if you're wearing like a pair of Manolo Blahniks or not. You know, it just happens to, they just know like, oh, it's a black shoe. You know what I mean? Absolutely. They don't know. Absolutely. So it's almost, I, I compare it to like, it's almost like you're trying to get on the dock in the water and the women are pushing the other women's heads down because mm-hmm. they don't want them to be better than they are. So I guess the question is, it, is it 
the the men who at some point, you know, at sometimes don't treat us equally, but is it also part our fault because we sort of undercut each other? And I think it's a, it's a combination of both. And I hate to say that because I, I'm a woman and I'm pro woman. Yeah. But I, I, I don't think you can just blame it on one thing. Yeah. No, no, no. I don't think so either. I think there's a lot, I think a lot of factors go into it and I, we could talk for days about this because, you know, you have to look at societal factors, beliefs within your community. I mean, or the way you grew up. I mean, holy cow, we Correct. could go on forever, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. But I think that you set a good example um, for other women by saying, because I think there are some women who might say, you know, I don't know if I want to take this position and be the only woman on this executive board. Or be the only woman in, whether it be the only woman in this company or the, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I think that you set a good example at a, a pretty young age of saying, you know, I, I can do this and I have the confidence to do this. And, and again, that's a lot of mind work. It's a lot of self-work, right? It's a, it's a lot of self-work. I, I've also, at this company, I've also um, been the creator of their uh preventative um, mobile health care app. So basically what it, you know, it took a lot of, a lot of work. Um, it's, it's um, in the FDA um, review process right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's basically all geared towards, Hey, how do I talk to my doctor better? How do I talk to my doctor about what my risk factors are and what tests I should be getting done preventatively versus a, a, um, you know, a reaction type response. Mm-hmm. So, and then what am I at risk for based on my family history, my gender, my background, my ethnic background? Um, what, what are my higher risks? And then um, how do I mitigate this risk? So it, it was a long journey. I hate to say the word journey, but it uh-huh. was a long journey emotionally for me. And I mean, that's also sounds like a great empowering app for a patient so that when they, if they are armed with this information already, I would assume that it can make their visit to the doctor more productive because, because they have the knowledge. Well, not only that, it also keeps everything in there. So, you know how, like when, when you go in to, to the doctor, you like, I don't remember what medication I'm on. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear that all it's the time. It's there, or, or I don't know when I got my last um, TB shot, or my last flu shot, or my last pneumonia shot. It mm-hmm. keeps it all there securely and stored in the cloud. So if somebody steals your phone, the data ah, doesn't get stolen. the data stolen. doesn't get stolen. Nice, nice. Yeah, actually, I don't know what the last time I got a TB shot was. Now that you mention it, um, <laughs> don't step on a nail and you're fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, hmm, now that it, now that you mention that, TB, I don't know what um, I had. Um, I know. I went to Thailand a couple of, I went to Thailand in like 2012. No, maybe 2011. I bet that I got, I got, I definitely got a TB shot before I went there. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're talking, um, we're talking about tuberculosis, which, which usually get tested for tuberculosis. Sorry. What we were talking about. And that's, it's like totally escaping my mind and I'm embarrassed. The shot, tetanus shot. That's tetanus shot. Yeah, that's what I was talking about. Tetanus I'm losing shot. my mind. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely got a te- I clearly got, I got a tetanus shot before I went to Thailand, along with a myriad of other things. Um, yeah. But they're good for 10 years, right? 
Tetanus shots are good for 10 years. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I think I'm good. Um, I'm like, yeah, you got a t- shot for TV. I got, <laughs> oh, I'm, thank I'm thinking God. about tetanus the whole time. Yeah, thank God I didn't need to get a shot for TB. Um, I still remember when I worked in a hospital when I first started, and we'd have to go and get the little thing, that little prong thing. So, yeah, you get the um, the transdermal test for the yes. actually, um, yeah. Yes, yes. I had to do that before I started working. But luckily, no TB here. Um, Good <laughs> Thank goodness. Well, it's a good thing. Uh, yeah, it's a good thing. I mean, it sounds like you have a lot on your plate. You're you're doing a lot. Before we have a couple minutes left here, but I know when there's a, a great thread that started on a Facebook group for PTs, and it said, "How do you have your own business, do all this stuff, and manage to still have a family life?" Because you know, you, one doesn't want to sacrifice too much one for the other. So, well, how do you do it? What what advice do you have for those people? Um, I'm a really good multitasker. <laughs> um, no, you prior you prioritize. I mean, you make things that are important to your life important. I, you know, I say to my husband all the time, "Do you really want me there? Is this really important to you?" And the things that are really important, I'm going to show up at. And the things mm-hmm. that are not, but I don't. But but I also, you know, I'm also working from usually five o'clock in the morning till usually ten, eleven, twelve at night, or I'll get up in the middle of the night and do work. Mm-hmm. It's just, I feel like it's this part of my life where I want to be successful, so I'll work really hard. It all depends upon what your priorities are. Um, but, you know, I do try to, to stay fit. I do try to spend as much time as possible with my family and friends. It's it's hard. I mean, I'm working seven days a week, um, lots of hours, but I also just came back from the Florida Keys and was able to spend Christmas and New Year's with my family. That's great. So I, I bring, yeah, I bring my computer down. I have some phone calls. They deal with me. You know, so it, it's a little give and take on, on both sides. Yeah, so it sounds like good communication, good support, and knowing when to be there when it counts. Absolutely. Yeah. you got to prioritize your time. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And on that note, I have one last question. I should have given you this before we started, but... Knowing where you are in your life and what you know now, what would you say to that girl that graduated from nursing school? Um, you mean, what would I say to myself? Now? Yeah, what would you say to yourself? Knowing what you know now, what would you say to the girl who just graduated from nursing school? Um, I would say have some more confidence mm. and believe in yourself. Great advice. So... So back then, you know, especially when you're you're brand new coming out of school, I think that we let other people sort of push us down, and we we prevent we prevent ourselves from doing many things that way. Um, I think all of us need to um, be nicer to other people in the uh, in our fields and give people a little bit of slack and let them come into their own. I think that's great advice. Now, where can people get in touch with you if they need, if they would like more information on what you're doing? So they can get in touch with me at my email. So uh, my email is um, shug at t-e-l-e-p-l-u-s-h-c dot com. That's tellyplushc dot com. Um, they can give me a call or a text. Uh, my phone number is nine zero eight. 
7415. Um, I think those are the two best ways to get cool. in, in touch with me. I'm also on Facebook. So. Cool. And then how about if people want to find out more about Endeavor? So they can go to www.endeavorplus.com. Cool. Excellent. And then, of course, all of this will be on uh, in the show notes over at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. Um, but, you know, sometimes people have the, they're, they're listening with a pen handy and taking notes, so I like to make sure that we get it all out on the air as well. No, I appreciate it. And, um, Karen, thanks so much for your time today. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for, thank you for your time. And um, on that note, I also want to thank everyone else for listening for us for the past 47 minutes. And I think, Suzanne, you had some great advice, and I hope that uh, people take that advice and they act on it because that's, that's the best way to kind of move yourself forward. So, Suzanne, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate your time as well. And, everyone, thanks for listening. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for listening. Have a great week and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. Um.